Welcome to the first official episode of International Irons. We recorded an introductory episode a few days ago, but it was about five minutes, uh, and we didn't go into depth on anything West Ham, really. Uh, it was just kind of talking about what the podcast was going to be about. So this is the first actual episode, um, and there's a lot to discuss. Uh, firstly, the transfer window wrapped up a few days ago. Uh, so we're going to discuss how West Ham's window was, and spoiler alert, it was very, very, very good. Uh, and even more recently, West Ham had a match at Stamford Bridge against Chelsea that uh, had a little bit of controversy surrounding it. So we're definitely going to discuss that. Um, I, for one, was very, very displeased. But we'll start off on the transfer window. So this transfer window, West Ham spent £165.7 million. It is the most that they've ever spent in a single transfer window. They also broke the record for their largest single signing when they signed Lucas Paqueta from Lyon for, uh, it could be up to 51 million pounds with add-ons. Um, it was amazing to watch. I've never seen anything like it as a West Ham fan. Typically, they there are a lot of rumors that come out about players that West Ham are chasing. And the rumors come out right before season ticket renewals as to try and bump up club revenue. And then they end up not signing anyone big. They actually went out and did what they said they were going to do this summer. Uh, it, it was very encouraging to see as a fan. Uh, so let's just go over each of the signings. So as I mentioned, uh, they brought in Lucas Poqueta for £51 million from Lyon, who is a world-class player. He is the starting attacking mid for Brazil. I would have never expected a player of his caliber to be playing for West Ham a few years ago. So, absolutely absurd to see him being brought into the side. It was truly something special. Proqueta was our most recent signing, uh, the last player that uh, West Ham brought in. So, going backwards, starting from him, on August 23rd, they brought in Emerson Palmieri from Chelsea for £13 million, who is not obviously not Paqueta's caliber, very few players are, but he is a very, very needed uh, wingback to help replace our wingbacks, who, in my opinion, are some of the worst in the Premiership. They have cost us over and over. Kufal is just not good enough uh, Cresswell, obviously he had the two red cards in the Europa League campaign last year. The latter really hurting us and costing us the uh, chance to lift the Europa League trophy. Um, so Emerson will certainly help us at the fullback position. Uh, on August 17th, West Ham brought in Thilo Kerrer from Paris Saint-Germain for £10.1 million who has been outstanding at West Ham over his time. He did concede a penalty and score an own goal in the first three or four games. But if you're just looking at the stats, obviously you wouldn't think he had had a great start. But watching the games, he has been outstanding. Outstanding. He's been the man of the match in my eyes the last two matches. 
He has barely stepped a foot wrong other than the conceded penalty and own goal. He's been great. He's a center back who plays fullback. So if we need him to fill in for another of our subpar fullbacks, he'll be able to do that, which is very helpful. And obviously last year we were running very short on center backs. Uh, so that will be helpful with the depth in the center back position. Um, we have brought in a lot of center backs this window, uh, so many that it looked like Craig Dawson was going to leave to Aston Villa. He ended up staying, but I, it looked very certain that at least one of them was going to leave. I think they brought in three different center backs this, maybe two. No, no, no. Well, yeah, no, sorry, it was two. Um, but anyways, on August 6th, uh, West Ham brought in Maxwell Cornet from Burnley for £17.5 million. He is a very welcome addition to the squad. He mainly plays as a winger. Uh, West Ham did not have many winger-like players uh, on their squad last year. They had Bowen on the right side, of course. But they played Fornals at the left attacking mid winger position, who is a good player, but Cornet is certainly an upgrade over him and any upgrade is more than welcome. On July 26th, for £30.5 million, they brought in Gianluca Scamacca, a striker who starts for the Italian national team. Huge signing. It had been, I don't even know how long since West Ham had signed a striker, so it was a very, very, very welcome sight. It had been almost 500 days, it might have been 500 days, I think, since they had sold Sebastian Allaire and not replaced him. And Antonio, as much as he is preferred by Moyes, can, he's just not it at times. He's off a lot of the time, inconsistent. He lacks a good touch in finishing. So bringing in Skamaka was a great signing. He, I think he's really going to be a key part to our season this year. Uh, on July 7th, uh, it was... 9 million pounds to bring in Flynn Downs from Swansea. He is a young player with lots of upside. Swansea fans raved about him and thanked him profusely uh, when he was sold to West Ham. So he's an, he's a, he's an investment. Uh, hopefully he can turn out to be a very good player. He's not had very much playing time at all. I think he's played like half an hour in... Um, uh, conference league qualifying match and other than that no time at all so that's a little frustrating Moyes has a tendency to be reluctant to put in new signings into uh, matches and give them time but uh, he, he I like this signing I think he's a midfielder he can be very good so not too much risk well 9 million is not a shabby amount at all but he's a good player with tons and tons of potential. So a welcome sight. He's also a boyhood West Ham fan. So that's always special to see a boyhood West Ham fan sign for the club. So I like that signing. Definitely not one of our not one of my favorite signings from the window. But that's only because there were so many great signings. He's he's a he's a good player. <laughs> On June twenty seventh, uh, West Ham signed Alphonse Ariola to a five-year deal from PSG for £8 million. Uh, obviously, we had had him on loan, 
He played throughout the European campaign and cup matches and was very, very good throughout. Uh, a lot of people thought he deserved to start over Fab in the Premier League, but he he's a good keeper. He's the future of the goalkeeping position at the club uh, for at least the next five years. So he's still uh, behind Fabianski uh, for the Premier League matches, but that might actually change soon. There's been a lot of public pressure for him to start in the Premier League. And Fabianski had a very poor match at Stamford Bridge this last weekend. I, I think that he'll still be the starting goalkeeper, but you never know. Um, but I like that signing. He's certainly... I wanted uh, them to sign Ariel to the, um, off the loan. Because I, I was a big believer in him being the future of the goalkeeping position at the club. So I'm happy that they did that. And lastly, the first signing of the window, actually... For 26.6 million pounds, Naya Figuered, he's another center back. He's injured right now, but when he's healthy, he will be a starting center back in the system. Uh, because uh, Moyes brought in so many center backs, a lot of people were theorizing that he wanted to switch to a back five. Uh, I'm not sure if that's what he's going to do. Uh, West Ham played a back five against Chelsea on Saturday, but... I think he's actually leaning towards the back four, at least until uh, Aguirre comes back. So uh, that will be something to keep an eye on as time progresses. So overall, amazing transfer window. I've never seen the board dish out money like this. Well, the board never has dished out money like this. Um, obviously, with the team's recent success, that's more than enough reason for them to invest. Uh, Daniel Kratinsky, the Czech billionaire, recently bought a minority stake in the club as well. So I'm sure that cash infusion had something to do with it. Uh, and these signings really, really, really strengthen the side. Regardless of how the money was obtained and why it was spent, these players are really, really, really going to strengthen this side and help West Ham on their quest to lift silverware. These were good players who were brought in at positions of need. They were really going to help us plug those holes in the ship that we had last year. Um, our spine of the team now, we have the starting center back for Germany in Aguerd. We have the starting defensive mid for England in Declan Rice. We have the starting attacking mid for Brazil in Lucas Paqueta. And we have the starting striker for Italy in Gianluca Scamacca which I heard on Twitter a few days ago, and it's absolutely mad to see that. Uh, the fact that West Ham have that spine down the middle is, I, I never could have dreamt it as a kid. Uh, West Ham are absolutely massive, and this transfer window is proving that. So moving on from the transfer window, there was a... Uh, incident at Stamford Bridge uh, during the match against Chelsea on Saturday. Uh, I'm sure most of you are aware what happened, but if not, um, West Ham was trailing Chelsea 2-1 to in the closing minutes of the game, and there was a 50-50 kind of ball between uh, Mendy and Jared Bowen, and Jared Bowen was racing for the ball. He kind of slipped a bit, and Mendy got to it first and parried it away, uh, and Bowen kind of jumped over him because Mendy dove at his feet 
uh, and his trailing foot clipped Mendy's shoulder. Uh, and Mendy stayed down, and Cornet uh, took up the ball and scored an amazing equalizer, sent the away end into madness. And the goal was given on the field, and it went to VAR, and it looked like an open and shut thing. It was not a foul, very minimal contact. If you haven't seen it, look it up. Um, the announcers were presuming, like almost assuming basically, that there was no contact, not a foul. Uh, the VAR ref uh, suggested to the on-field ref that he come to the monitor to take a look at it. So he did. And after a lengthy delay, the goal was taken back for a foul on the keeper by Bowen. It was absolutely absurd. And as soon as the uh, foul was given and the goal was taken off the board, fans across the country were upset. And when I say fans across the country, I don't mean across East London. I mean fans of all teams, not even fans of teams outside of the Premier League. Because VAR at this point is just a joke. When it was brought into the game, it was advertised to the fans as minimal interference with uh, maximum reward. But it's just not, it's not what's happening at all. They are taking lots of time out of the game to go look at something and get it wrong anyways. And I, when it was brought into the game, I personally was a fan of it. I'm ashamed to admit it now. But I thought, like, how could you possibly get a call wrong looking at it from all these different angles in slow motion? Like, yeah, it might take some time to get it right, but you'll get it right. They have not gotten it right. They don't get the calls right. And when you look at VAR's calls, it is a ridiculous disproportionate amount of calls given to the big six clubs. It seems that every time there's a foul that goes to VAR, it's in favor of a big six club. And it's just so upsetting to watch because it the, the most obvious fouls, I'm not even talking about fucking 50-50 stuff. Like clear, clear fouls. In the, in the Liverpool-Everton match, the Merseyside Derby, uh, this Saturday, Van Dyke had the most ridiculously dangerous tackle on an Everton player. Clear red card. Absolutely indisputable. It was not given. Uh, it didn't even go to VAR. That, that's another thing. The stuff, some things just don't go to VAR when it's for a big six club, when it benefits a big six club. Uh, Reese James was on the ground during the match on Saturday, and he had a, uh, a stud-facing kick. I don't even know how to explain it. He was lying on the ground, and he kicked uh, at Antonio's leg with his studs. Absolute clear red card. Like, unacceptable, dangerous foul play. Did not go to VAR. It's stuff like that that's so obviously a red that a referee might miss. That's when VAR has to step in. And they just don't for the big six clubs. I don't, I genuinely don't understand it. Like, there are obviously these claims of corruption across the Premier League. And I didn't believe them at first. But, like, I, I don't know how else to explain what's going on. Because if you look at what's happened across the league uh, this weekend. 
Aston Villa, Man City. Aston Villa had a goal taken off the board for offside when the player was clearly onside by like half a yard. Um, Liverpool, Everton. Everton had a goal taken off the board in a nil-nil draw that would have won them the game. I honestly think that the VAR was right there and he was offside. But regardless, they had that red card tackle on uh, the Van Dyke red card tackle on an Everton player. Did not go to VAR. The West Ham-Chelsea match, uh, Reese James had that missed red card that didn't go to VAR, as well as the goal that was uh, taken back um, for the foul on Bowen. Uh, and by the way, the referee association, P PGMOL, looked at the um, play and they came back and made a statement that the referee got it wrong and that they were going to learn from this example, which is like, cool, great, but it cost us a point. So what happens when, for example, West Ham misses out on Europe by one point? Like, wh what are you going to do then? Like, great, you learned your lesson. I don't give a fuck. It's, it, and cool, they said they learned their lesson. But if there is corruption in the Premier League, in the big six clubs, which I genuinely suspect that there might, and this isn't like some dumb lunatic conspiracy, go look back on all these calls. This is supported by the statistics. Big six clubs are benefited by VAR more than any other club. I saw a Leicester fan on Twitter uh, yesterday say that he believed if VAR was in the game in 2015-16 when they won the Premier League, that he genuinely believed Leicester would not have won the league that year. And I, he might be right. Because I think what happened was the Premier League and the media companies saw that a team outside the big six won the league and VAR might have been brought in because of that. Because it just, it benefits them every time, guys. Every time. It's so fucking sickening to watch. It's not one, I know I'm going in circles here, but it's so fucking maddening. I don't get how it happens. I don't. It's like blatant match fixing. And nothing happens about it. VAR needs to be taken out of the game. And fine, we can. I'm okay using it for something like offsides that should be black and white, even though there are still controversial calls there, like when the Aston Villa goal was taken off when he was clearly on. Um, it just can't be used for these fouls. It just can't, because it's a clear avenue for match fixing. And even if there's no match fixing, and if you don't believe that match fixing could be a thing in England, number one, you're in for a rude awakening. That's just not true. But if there is no max fi match fixing, match fixing, there we go, it's still biased. It's still biased, and it needs to go. Because even if the owners aren't paying uh, the Premier League to get these calls, th it's happening. So regardless of if it's intentional or not, it needs to stop. It's so tiring. It, it was an interesting experiment bringing VAR into the game. It's ruining football. It truly is. It's terrible to see. Something needs to be done about it. So, I, I, I don't know. I'm truly speechless. It's truly, I don't even know what to say. It's, it's terrible. If you think I'm like exaggerating any of this, if you did not see it, 
please look up what happened over the weekend. Look up the West Ham goal. Look up the Van Dyke challenge on the Everton player. Look up the Aston Villa goal that was taken off for uh, offsides and was clearly on. Look this stuff up. You guys. Look up the statistics on the calls that the big six gets. It's just... It's... I'm not making this up. I promise. It's a real phenomenon. And I, I didn't... I was hesitant to believe the match fixing, but I, I don't understand any other explanation. I don't. So that's that. Um, West Ham is not going to get that point back. Uh, and that could come back to bite them later. That could theoretically cost us Europe. And if it does, then believe, expect to see hell. Expect to see hell being raised in East End and across the world. Uh, that's all I have right now. West Ham goes again on Thursday in their first group match of the uh, Conference League. Hopefully they can walk away with the three points there. A good thing about the Conference League is that VAR will not be used until the final. That is a breath of fresh air. Uh, excited to watch those matches. Uh, so, yeah, I'm going to sign off now. Uh, make sure to follow uh, the podcast on Twitter. Uh, it's at INT Irons Pod. Um, and make sure to check out the YouTube uh, channel called International Irons Podcast. We're going to do live stream reaction on every Premier League match on YouTube. So, uh, yeah, check us out on there. Um, so, yep, signing off. See you guys next week.